Well, it is good to be back with y'all. Uh, one of the uh, joys of my work is getting to visit other churches, but it, there's something special about getting to visit a place more than once, and you start to see some uh, familiar faces. It was great to be able to teach Laurel this semester. I get to hang out with her. It's great to see uh, James and Barbara Penland. Some of y'all may have heard from them. I have known them since I was about four years old uh, in Temple, so they probably know some stories on me that I may not know that they know. Uh, we're glad to see them and their family uh, and to be with you today. Uh, and I want to bring greetings, uh, not only from, uh, from ACU and the Cyber Institute, but my family, my wife and daughters who have normally been able to come with me. Uh, they're back at home this weekend having uh, a little girls weekend while I'm down here, but they wanted me uh, to tell you hi. Uh, and I just want to say to y'all, I am so excited uh, about y'all's new preacher uh, that is going to be coming. That is a wonderful thing. Uh, and, and that's going to come up here uh, as we talk together. Um, as Ricky said earlier in the service, there, there is a lot going on this week. Uh, and 20 years ago, 9-11 happened on a Tuesday, and then people came to worship on Sunday. Well, what happened in Uvalde is probably their 9-11 in terms of that thing that's going to shape that community and those families forever. And, and it's not quite in y'all's backyard, but it's not far. Right? And so when we come to worship after an event like that, it's really difficult in a lot of situations for that not to just kind of be taking over parts of our minds. And so as we come to the Word today, we're going to be in the book of Acts, as you heard uh, Cooper read to us. Uh, let me pray over us as we come to the Word together. Lord God, today I ask that you would calm us into a quietness that heals and that listens. Or many of us have hearts that are wounded. And I ask that you would open our wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Would you speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits maybe leap for joy just a little bit. And maybe skip with hope just a little bit. And would you give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose your ways, the ways of wisdom. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, well, since we have schools uh, on our mind with what happened earlier this week, uh, I want to start today by telling you a story, uh, a couple, kind of a pair of stories uh, of what things were like for me uh, when I was a teenager. I have my, my two daughters are getting ready to start into middle school and high school. Uh, for some of us, that's very much right now. Some of us, it was a little bit ago. Some of us, it was a long time ago. Uh, but I wonder if maybe you had some experiences kind of like uh, I did. Uh, going from elementary into middle school was surprisingly challenging uh, for me. Part of the reason it was surprisingly challenging was that I was really short. Like not shortest kid in the class short, like shortest kid in the grade short. Hayes can testify uh, about this. I was really small. And we had a kind of a traditional middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And I mean, those 8th graders were like giants. You know, remember when the spies go into the land, right, from Israel, and they come back and they're afraid? I, I am familiar with that, right? It's a new building. There's all these hallways. You're running around. All the big kids are, you know, are, are there together. Uh, and even though there were kids from my elementary school that were at that middle school, there was just a whole lot that was new. Uh, add to that the way that our school did things, which hopefully is not the way they would do it now. This was the mid-80s. Uh, at middle school lunch, you ate lunch, and then afterwards, if the weather was nice, you went out to the schoolyard. 
And I mean, I think there were teachers around, but basically it was just 300 kids running around all over the place with very little supervision. Well, if you are, you know, to go back to what the Israel, like if you felt like a grasshopper in the eyes of these, that was a bad deal. Uh, I was very fortunate uh, that I had a teacher uh, who later on invited me and some other kids to, who were kind of involved in some things at school just to like not even worry about the cafeteria, just come down to her classroom and eat lunch. Uh, and there, there, there was some safety there. Going to high school was different, though. And part of the reason that it was different was because when I started high school, two things were true. Uh, one was I had some friends up the street who uh, they, they had a kid who was about my age, but he had two older siblings, and I was the oldest in my family. And so through them, I had already gotten to meet some other high schoolers. And I was in the marching band. And so for a month, I had done the wonderful Texas experience of summer band where you get outside and it's, we were only there from like 8 to 10.30, so it was only about 95 degrees and not 105. But we had 250 kids in our band. And so I got to know all these people. So when I went to school on that first day, I knew people, right? And I knew upperclassmen, which, man, that was, that was a big deal when you were a freshman, so I experienced both kind of that fear that comes from exclusion and the hope that can come from inclusion. And that's related to some of the things that we're going to be dealing with uh, in our text today. Uh, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. I want to give just a little bit of background, kind of recap you. Uh, if this is like, pretend it's the second movie uh, in the series, we need to do a quick five-minute recap on like what happened in the first movie so that we know where we are. Uh, if you did not come from the churches of Christ, one thing that you want to know is in the churches of Christ, traditionally, we have loved the book of Acts uh, because it is about the church. Uh, and it tells us things that the early church did, how they acted, how they prayed. Uh, and we have really tried to imitate that in a lot of ways. So you might have been around long enough that you hear people like quote Acts. You're like, why do they know this text so well? This is why. Okay. Uh, so for some of you, this is going to be a little recap. Others, it will maybe be a little bit of new information. All right. So the first seven chapters of Acts tell the story of the very beginning of the church starting with Jesus' ascension into heaven. Uh, in the first chapter, they have to do a little family business. Uh, one of the original 12 apostles is dead, and so they have to replace him, so they do that. Uh, and then in chapter 2, uh, one of our favorite stories, some people call it the birthday of the church, uh, on Pentecost Sunday, which, by the way, is next Sunday for people that celebrate the church year, uh, Peter got up in Jerusalem and preached this amazing sermon empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes when people preach, folks fall asleep, right? They're on their phones, not 2,000 years ago. But sometimes people listen, and that happened that day, and thousands of people were baptized. It was amazing, right? And you read through the rest of the, 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 the next few chapters, and there's more preaching, and there's more conversions, and we have just loved that story, Okay? However, let me point out a couple of things about this that we don't always talk about quite so much. First is, have you ever noticed in those first seven chapters how active God is in some really particular ways? I mean, the big one is the Holy Spirit descending on the believers in chapter 2. But there's lots of other ways that God is actively working among them. In chapter 3, there's a lame man who gets healed so much so that he is jumping and leaping around. 
Uh, in chapter 4, Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit when he's kind of on trial. He's before the Jewish leaders, and he is filled with the Spirit and speaks boldly, which is, by the way, exactly what Jesus said would happen. You may remember that, Matthew and Luke. He says, don't be worried when they drag you before leaders because it's not going to be you who's speaking. It's going to be God who's speaking through you. Peter had that exact thing happen to him. Then the people pray that God would fill them with boldness, that they could speak, and God does, and they do. In chapter 5, God breaks out one of uh, some of the leaders from jail. Chapter 7, right before he dies, Stephen sees this vision of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. I mean, God is active and moving and working. So that's one. Here's the second item that we don't sometimes talk about. Um, There is a lot of conflict that the church has to deal with, even at the very beginning. We sometimes kind of look back to the beginning of the church as like, like a golden age where everything is great. And there are great things, but there's also conflict that happens, right? Sometimes it's internal conflict, right? I'm guessing you guys have had some internal conflicts every now and then, right? The early church did too. Uh, There's that famous story of Ananias and Sapphira. One of the things that the church did was people would sometimes sell property and bring it to the church to take care of other people. Ananias and Sapphira did that. And they kept some of the money back for themselves, which doesn't seem to be the problem. The problem was they lied to the church about how much money they were giving. Later on in the next chapter, there's conflict that happens on an ethnic level. The church is taking care of some of its widows. And some of the groups in the church, one ethnic group, feels like they're being neglected. I know we get that, right? We look around at our world, and when we see situations where maybe there's a school and it turns out that they're treating the Latino kids differently than the white kids. Or we find out that there's a big factory, and they're treating the black workers different than the Hispanic workers. And we understand that's a problem. It's wrong. We, we need to fix that. That seems to be what was going on here in Acts chapter 6. Uh, sometimes, though, the conflict happens from the outside. It's not from the Roman officials. That comes later. But it's from the Jewish leaders who aren't happy about What's happening in this Jesus movement? And so in various ways, they try to repress it. There's a famous line in Acts chapter 5 where one of the Jewish leaders says something that's really wise to his colleagues. He says, if these people's purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. But if it's from God, you're not going to be able to stop them. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. It's pretty wise, right? So with that background, we get to chapter 8. Uh, Some of the chapters in Acts are kind of all one story, like chapter 2 about Pentecost and chapter 7 about Stephen's long sermon that he gives that he eventually gets uh, gets stoned at the end for. Uh, But Acts 8 is actually one that has two main stories. Uh, The first one, Cooper started us off. The gospel goes from Jerusalem into the regions around Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. Uh, We hear some people in Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem, Uh, they are accepting the gospel. They are hearing the good news. They're being baptized. Uh, They haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, which for us maybe seems kind of weird because if you read Acts 2, it sounds like the Spirit and baptism go together, but they solve the problem. The apostles come down, lay hands on them. They receive the Spirit. And then there's this magician in town named Simon who sees that they're able to do that, and he has accepted the good news, but he seems to be kind of impressed with this ability to lay hands on people. And so he tries to say, hey, let me give you some money and you can tell me how to do that. Like, no, 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 that's, that's not how this works. Okay? 
So that's story one. Then story two shifts, and we go from north of Jerusalem to south of Jerusalem. A guy named Philip is going along, and there is a man who is a, a eunuch from Ethiopia. He's going home, back down to Africa, and Philip goes up next to him, finds out he's reading Scripture, and from the very Scripture he's reading, tells him about Jesus. Right? The guy is baptized and goes on his way rejoicing. Cooper's text said, there was great joy in Samaria. At the end of chapter 8, there's great joy for the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, So that's the big picture. That's chapter 8. We're going to dig into it a little more closely, but let me pause and tell you, I think this, what we've seen so far, already connects with you guys. But it connects with y'all in ways that you know better than I do. Okay, um, So what I want to do is, I want to just kind of invoke some topics, some ideas, some memories. I'm going to let you sit in those for a minute here on a couple of, uh, couple of occasions. Okay? The beginning of Acts talks about the story of the early church, how it all got started. I don't know the story of how this church began, but I bet that some of y'all do. And I bet that there are stories of God's great provision Stories of God's blessing, stories of God's leading from those very early days. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are people who are no longer with us. They have died. They have gone to their rest and are awaiting the resurrection. Who were just like Stephen, that you remember fondly because of the grace and the wisdom that they had, because of the way that they cared for you. Let me just give you a minute if you know those stories to remember those. Another thing I don't know much about is what y'all's community life has looked like over the years and how you have reached out to your community and how you have served one another. Um, it may not be that you were selling your property and giving it to the poor like we see in uh, the beginning of Acts, but I bet there are stories of y'all being united in the ways that we see in the beginning of Acts. There's this great phrase there, being of one heart and mind. I bet that's happened over the years in some ways. Right now, I know that there are ways that you are of one heart and mind when it comes to your thoughts and your heart about the situation in Uvalde. I bet there are ways that you are already of one heart and mind as you look forward to welcoming your new preacher. And I bet there are going to be ways that you're going to be of one heart and mind as you continue to minister to each other, right? In sickness, in difficulty. So let me just give you a moment as you think about how you have been and how you can be united. Okay, here's a third one. A third thing I don't know is what some of the conflicts that y'all have had in your church. I'm assuming there have been some because we're human, right? Anytime you get humans together, we're going to have conflict. Uh, maybe y'all have had conflict about what's the best way to reach out in your community. That's pretty normal for a church that wants to do that. Uh, maybe you've had conflict about which preacher we should hire. That's pretty normal in a search process. Uh, maybe you've had conflict about how to interact with other Christians uh, in the community. That's pretty normal, especially in the churches of Christ. We've struggled with that over the years. Okay? Um, if, if that happens, I don't want you to beat yourselves up because that's a normal, that's an expected thing. However, 
the book of Acts, I think, gives us some guidance on what we can do. It's in that story where the widows are getting neglected. It says they chose seven people who were full of the Spirit and wisdom. Uh, And my hope is that as you walk through the conflicts that maybe you're in now or that are going to come in the future, that you're going to be able to have that kind of wisdom, the kind of knowledge, that you're going to be able to lead one another, whether you're in a position of authority or just leading by example, with with grace and truth. Because that's what we need in the church, right? Okay. So I, I think the beginning of Acts connects with us here. So let's zoom into it a little closer And then we'll step back and see how it connects with us again. All right? Okay. So let's go to chapter 8. We're going to zoom our camera lens in a little bit. Uh, Like I said, that first story uh, is about what happens in Samaria. Okay? Uh, Samaria was a region north of Jerusalem. uh, And I I need a little audience participation here. Those of you that know the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, when he is in his ministry, I'm going to ask you a question. And the answer is going to either be a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or like this, kind of in the middle, okay? Let's practice. Give me a thumbs up, all right? Give me a thumbs down. Now give me that in the middle. Okay, here's the question. How did the Jewish people, generally speaking, feel about the Samaritans, as we know in the gospel? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, I got a lot of thumbs down. Fortunately, that's not the preacher review section uh, at this point of the sermon. Y'all are exactly right. Uh, From what we can tell in the Gospels, generally speaking, uh, Jewish folks did not have a real high opinion of the Samaritans. And there are some long historical reasons uh, about that that go way back in history. Uh, Fortunately, we don't do that anymore, do we? Judge people based on the past. Oh, wait a minute. Sometimes we do. Okay, we got to work on that. Um, Remember some of the stories in the Gospels? John chapter 4. When Jesus encounters the woman at the well, that story starts by saying Jesus had to go through Samaria. Almost like it's a burden, right? It was right in between, to you guys, the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, right in between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, right? So if he's going from up north in Galilee down to Jerusalem, for whatever reason that day, he had to go through Samaria. And when he's at the well, the woman knows We're not supposed to have this kind of interaction. And the gospel writer jumps in and says, because Jews don't usually associate with Samaritans, right? Or in Luke's gospel, there's a place where Jesus sends his disciples into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, and the people don't respond very well. And James and John, in a great example of tolerance, say, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? It's like they're getting their Elijah on Mount Carmel on, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. That might be a little bit of an overreaction, right? So, Jews and Samaritans not really getting along that well. But notice what happens at the beginning of chapter 8. They go, they bring the good news, and the people respond. They accept it. They see the signs that Philip is performing, the healing, the casting out of demons. They hear the word that's being proclaimed, and they accept it. If you've ever wondered... Should I, I probably shouldn't say anything to them about Jesus because I probably know how they're going to react. Let this story be an encouragement to you. You kind of never know how somebody's going to react to hearing the good news about Jesus. Now, some of you might be wondering, why did they even go to Samaria in the first place? Like, if that was the place where they had these bad relationships, 
Well, I think, I think there's three reasons. Like, first of all, it kind of makes sense geographically. Um, if you're in Jerusalem and you want to go out of town, you're going to end up in Judea and Samaria because those are the regions that are right around Jerusalem. It, it would be like it, if the early church started in Kerrville and then y'all branched out from here, it wouldn't be surprising if people ended up in the hill country or South Texas, right? Because that's just where we are. Okay. Second reason. The reason they went is because of what happened at the end of chapter 7. Remember, at the end of chapter 7, Stephen gets killed. For the first time, a Jesus follower loses their life. We, we, we use the term martyr to describe that. And it says at the beginning of chapter 8, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. Where were they scattered? Throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Right, So it's a crisis. And like what happens a lot of times in crises, right? people scatter. But they don't scatter and hide. You notice that? They scatter and they take the word with them. And God goes with them too. How are their healings and exorcisms? Because God is there. Right? How is the Holy Spirit falling on people? Because God is there. Right? God's power is not restricted to location. Remember the story of Naaman the Syrian, the guy that goes off, right? And he's healed of leprosy. Or remember Jonah, right? He tries to run away from God and it does not go well. That's kind of a negative story, but the point is, God's power is not restricted by a place. So let me say a word to the high schoolers in the room. I don't know if we have anybody here that just graduated, but if you are making that transition now or maybe will in the next couple of years, going to college, going to the military, going to a job, wherever you go, God's going with you. And you get to decide, are you going to take the word with you and be ready to meet God wherever you're going to go? Because God's going to already be there, and that is great news. Okay, so one reason they go to Samaria is because it kind of makes sense in geography. One is it makes sense in terms of the story, but it also makes sense because that's what Jesus said was going to happen. You remember at the beginning of Acts when Jesus ascends into heaven? Remember what the last thing is that he says to his followers? He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? Jesus called it. They're just doing exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Right? So in other words, what's happening is the church is spreading and growing, not despite trial and struggle, but because of it. You catch that? How many times... As Christians, how many times in churches, when we run into difficulty, do we kind of close up, right? Do we back off? Do we stay home? I think this story encourages us when there is struggle, that's the time to step forward. That's the time to reinvest because we know that God is there working. Just because we can't see it, doesn't mean that God isn't working. And just because we can't sense it, maybe, doesn't mean 
that God isn't present, okay? We live in Texas. We have seen what happens in the summer to plants when the heat beats down, right? <laughs> and there's no water. Those poor little tomato plants, they just, they just kind of shrivel up, right? When we run into trials, whether it's a school shooting, whether it's transition difficulty with a new minister, we get to decide, right? What are we going to do? And I want to encourage y'all, this is a great time to plug in more fully, right? To connect with each other more, to reinvest yourself spiritually in your own spiritual practices, in the life of this church. Uh, maybe if you haven't been here much because you've been busy, it's a great time to come back. If you've been kind of wavering in your faith a little bit, it's a great time to reach out and talk to somebody. Because just like those little tomato plants, right, we need water, we need fertilizer, and we get that in the church, in the word, in prayer, in all of those ways so that we can flourish despite the Texas heat. Okay, second story. Second half of the book, uh, of chapter 8, is about the conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch guy, right? He, like I said, he's heading south, going home to Ethiopia, and... Uh, he works for a queen in Ethiopia, uh, and there are some things about him that make him useful for working with a female ruler, right? He's, he's not a threat uh, to her, apparently, but because those things about him, about his physical body, uh, that makes it where he's not able to go to the temple in Jerusalem or not to go very far, right? So he was worshiping in Jerusalem even though he couldn't really go very far into the temple. And, and people debate. We don't really know, is this guy like actually Jewish or is he just kind of like fond of the God of Israel? Um, we're not really sure. But he's worshiping in Jerusalem and he's reading from the Old Testament when Philip finds him. Right? So he, he's got some kind of connection here. Now, uh, I don't know about y'all. There are times when I read the Bible and I really want a time machine or I want video footage. Right? I want to be able to see. I want, I want to see Jesus' facial expressions when he says this or that. But this is one of those. Have you ever noticed, it says he's going down to Ethiopia, and he's in a chariot, and Philip runs up next to him. Now, chariots are pulled by horses. Were, were they pulled over on the side of the road, and somebody was going to the restroom, and so this is when the guy's reading or were those horses in full gallop and Philip's like running up next to him going, hey, what are you reading over there? I mean, I, I really, I would love to see this, right? He runs up next to him, finds out that this guy's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the text says that from that very text, Philip tells him about Jesus. Well, I think that's probably not a coincidence because what he's reading, well, listen to what it says in Acts says he was reading this passage of scripture. This is verses 32 and 33. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. If you go back to Isaiah and read that whole chapter 53, it talks about somebody who was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And I wonder if this eunuch was like, I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to be excluded, 
And so he wonders, who's he talking about? Philip says, let me tell you about Jesus. Eunuch says, here's some water. Can I be baptized? Absolutely. And he does. What I think is kind of amazing about this text and the one that goes before it is those first seven chapters, the whole story of the church is in Jerusalem and it's all among the Jews. But starting right here, this is when the story starts to stretch the boundaries just a little bit about what it looks like to be the people of God. Right? Samaritans, we don't like them very much, but they're accepting the good news about Jesus. A magician, you read Luke and Acts, Luke doesn't really seem to care about magicians very much. That guy Simon, he's got some wrong ideas about it, but he accepted the good news. What about eunuchs? He's not even allowed to come into the temple. That's all right. We'll bring him in. If you keep reading in Acts chapter 9, it's about Saul, this guy who's trying to murder people and destroy the church. We'll bring him in. And then chapter 10, the Gentiles, we're not even allowed to go into their houses, but we'll bring them in. I wonder if with these stories, God is just gently helping the church see that maybe it's a little bigger, maybe it's a little broader than we thought. You know, and to be honest, in our heritage in the churches of Christ, we've kind of struggled with that, right? We, we've tended to kind of think that the borders are kind of tight, things are kind of narrow. And when we have been exposed to people in other denominations and other groups that are really devout, really love the Lord, it can be a little bit of a challenge for us. But I wonder if that may help here. I wonder if the word for us is that God generally has a bigger plan than the one that we can see. That maybe that God's family is maybe just a little bigger than what we can imagine. Maybe God's arms are opened up just, just a little wider than maybe we tend to think. Right? Um, I told you before about some things I don't know about your church, but there are some things I do know. And I want to encourage you about those because I think you guys are living into this text maybe in ways that you don't even know yet. Um, I know a little bit about the work that you have done with the Medina home over the years. And I am sure that that is hard sometimes. Uh, I bet it's challenging, but my goodness, that is such good work. Um, I mean, y'all know, it's how easy it is in our day for the world to look down on, to squish down, stomp down, people that are different, people that are in different kinds of family situations. Maybe their family structures don't look like uh, what we think it ought to. And what happens when people get stomped on and squished down? Right? We, tend to, we tend to pull back. We tend to, tend to listen to those messages. Uh, a wise woman in my Bible class just last Sunday said this, uh, whenever you see somebody that is fighting to belong, they're probably operating from an outsider mentality. In other words, they feel like they don't belong, and so they're going to fight to try to make that happen. Other people, though, they don't fight. They just fade. And you guys are reaching out to people that the world might say is on the outside, and you are telling them that they belong. And I want to encourage you in that because, man, that's so good. I've also heard uh, that in the next couple of weeks, you're going to be getting together with some other congregations uh, here in Kerrville. And I am excited to hear that because, again, in our heritage, we've kind of tended to be a little uncertain about other churches. 
But my goodness, our world needs to see Christians who are united and not divided, right? What you're doing in these ways, and that's just two, and I bet there are lots of others that I don't know. You're opening up those arms that you have wide to the world. That is good news for outsiders. Whether they are actually outside or maybe sitting in here right now feeling like they don't belong. Right? You already belong. God has done everything that is needed for you to belong. And what you do is exactly what we see in Acts. You accept and join and then start sharing it with other people. So in just a moment, we're going to sing the song, How Beautiful, as we come to the table together. Uh, That is a song about Jesus, both Jesus in his body on earth and also Jesus in his body right here. Uh, The song has lyrics about how beautiful are hands that serve and feet that bring the good news and hearts that are humble and lives that are pure, just how beautiful sacrifice is. And so I want to encourage you as you minister to one another and to your community in light of what happened in Uvalde last week. Serve with joy. Bring the good news of reconciliation and peace. As you join with other Christians in these next couple of weeks, love them as your own brothers and sisters because that's what they are, right? Share and receive from them in humility. And as you welcome your new preacher, reach out your hands in humility and service. That might be a hard deal. It might be tender because I know that y'all loved your preacher before. But he's the new one, and he needs your welcome and love. So would you stand with me? I want to pray over you as y'all shift into this new time, uh, and then we're going to sing and come to the table together. God, our Heavenly Father, we believe that you are present and moving and working even amidst the darkest times that we face. Would you encourage and bless this congregation as they walk through challenging times? Help them to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil with the knowledge that you are with them, leading, guiding, and comforting them. And Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross so that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace, maybe wider than we even know. Would you clothe us so fully in your spirit that we can reach out our hands in love and bring those who don't know you to the knowledge and love of you? We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.